Hello and welcome to another episode of the Highway to Health show. This is episode 13. On our previous episode, episode number 12, we had Gary Heyer. Gary's a cancer survivor and that episode is a must listen for anyone who knows or who's personally undergoing a battle with cancer. Such a tremendous testimony and such powerful mindset. I'm sure you're going to really, really like it. Now, this week's episode though, episode 13, features Regina Lawrence. Now, Regina is is a corporate attorney who no longer practices after several panic attacks left her in the floor of her office, and she'll tell you the whole story. But now she's made her her mission to help mostly executives and busy moms and dads understand where their stress is coming from and help them get to the root and cause of their stress and anxiety so they can live a more peaceful, productive, and profitable life. I really enjoyed this conversation. Regina is such an easy person to talk to, and I certainly hope you will get a lot of it as well. Now, this episode is brought to you by our Highway to Health Facebook group. This is a free resource, free Facebook group. You don't need to register or leave an email. Go to dre.show forward slash group. If you're listening to this episode on your mobile device, it's actually even easier. All you need to do is just tap on the episode uh, resources there and you'll see the link. Tap on that link and you'll go straight to the Facebook group. We'll make sure to add you within a couple of hours and you'll be able to participate to ask your questions and have some more meaningful interactions with me. I really like it when people go there and ask their questions and it gives me a lot of ideas as to what to bring to the show, what is important to you, what kind of guests to bring in next and all those things. So remember, dre.show forward slash group. And now, I won't keep you any longer, this is episode 13 with Regina Lawrence. Remember, you are now on the highway to health, and I am your guide to help you get there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting-edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Highwood Health Show. My name is Dr. E, the stem cell guy. Our guest today is a former corporate attorney who bottomed out on her office floor in a panic attack from work-related stress. She soon realized that the problem wasn't her job or her life itself, but something else inside of her. She was tightly wound, anxious, and insecure. And although she felt something was severely lacking in her life, she was really good at pretending that everything was fine and just muscling through life. In her own words, she was a noble struggler. Thankfully, she soon realized that this needed a change, and today her life has done a complete 180. Her name is Regina Lawrence, and she's a mindset rehabilitation expert. She runs a successful coaching business where she helps people get to the root and cause of their stress and anxiety so they can live a more peaceful, productive, and profitable life. Today, she's going to share with us how she did this and how you too might need to rehabilitate your mindset. Regina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No, on the contrary, it's great to have you here. We've been talking for the last couple of episodes about the importance of mindset and how it really determines everything that we do. It doesn't matter if we're talking about health, if we're talking about fitness, wellness, love, relationships, anything at all, it starts with our heads. So I'm very, very excited to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much. And I totally agree with that. Our mindset and our stress levels have a profound effect on literally every area of our mind, body, and soul. So I totally agree. Good, good. Now, before we get started, I read this from the information that I was just sharing with our audience. 
why don't you share with me a little bit of what is a noble struggler? I think I know the answer, but I'd like to get it from you. A noble struggler is you have this identity that life is so hard and I work so hard and things are a struggle and it becomes that identity. Like I wear it like a badge of honor. I'm a noble struggler. And I feel like myself and so many people that I've met through my education had that same mindset. Well, I think it goes way beyond just education. I see this so often. For many years, I ran a stem cell clinic where we treated a lot of children, mostly kids with special needs. So children with autism, children with cerebral palsy. And you would see this so often with their mothers. And they're like, oh, we're warrior moms and we do this. And I'd say, that's great, but you need to take care of yourself. You need to also check your mindset because it's not cool to just take it all and say like, oh yeah, well, it's my burden. It's my cross and I need to carry it. And it's okay for me to just be miserable. It's so true. And I see that I work with a lot of moms as well. And I see even just the mom with the average healthy kid, they're noble strugglers. They do nothing for themselves and everything is for the marriage, the spouse, the kids, and then they have nothing left to give and they're burnt out and they're stressed and they're anxious. And I see it all the time. It's just not a good formula, is it? No, it's not at all. So tell me how you discovered this. So for me, I was a practicing attorney. I practiced for seven years. And my story starts before that because I had a lifetime filled with stress and anxiety. And I allowed it to fuel me. It was my identity. I would always say, I'm just an anxious person. I am stressed. And I allowed it to propel me forward. It pushed me to put myself through college. It pushed me to put myself through law school and a master's of law. But I eventually reached a breaking point where I couldn't live a life like that anymore. I had been practicing for about five years and I was doing really good work and I was doing well in my practice, but I was really, really stressed. And I had taken on a new client and I remember sitting in my office working on one of the cases and I just felt like my heartbeat racing, my blood pressure increasing, my, I was starting to sweat. And I was like, oh no, like I could feel the panic attack coming on. And it was so much worse than anything I had ever experienced. And so I got out of my chair, I closed my office door and I just laid on the floor and I was like, I don't know what to do. So I put in a meditation app and I laid there and just cried and thought, I don't know what the solution is, but I can't live a life that feels like this anymore. And I also knew that I wasn't the only person that felt like that. I knew that there had to be other people who felt like that. So then that started me on a journey where I worked with a mindset coach and a business coach for years, started working with different health practitioners because the stress and anxiety was wreaking havoc on my body. And from that was born this stress and anxiety coaching business from those years and years of going through it myself, but then also going on a journey to figure out how to live a life that was more peaceful. So were these panic attacks recurrent or was this the one thing that you had and that just triggered it all? I had had instances of panic attacks, like of varying degrees, like most were less, but this one was just, it happened at a time in my life where all of these other things were happening in my body. I was suffering from really bad adrenal fatigue. I was exhausted and I was living a seemingly really healthy life, but nothing was working. I reached the lowest point of stress at that time. 
What would you think are the warning signs? Now, looking back, obviously, when you're there, you just keep muzzling through, like you very well described. But now that you're looking back, what do you think are the most important warning signs that you ignored? The biggest warning signs for me was the physical manifestation in the body. I would wake up in the morning, and even with the best nights of sleep in terms of hours and quality, I was waking up exhausted and my brain was really foggy. And then at night, I'd go to bed and I felt tired, but I wasn't able to sleep. I had a lot of issues with digestion, with my stress and being able to digest food well. That was another big sign for me that I just thought was something else. I was like, maybe I have food allergies. No, I didn't have food allergies. I was just really freaking stressed all the time. Now, here's the kicker. Did you actually think that you had food allergies or were you kind of like, you know how deep down sometimes we know that we're just not wanting to accept something that is happening and we just go like, oh, no, no, it must have been a food allergy. It must have been something I ate. It must have been this or it must have been that. Did you deep down know that there's something wrong going on? Yes, I did. And I think part of it too was like, I was so tied to this identity as an attorney because I'd studied for so many years and you know, I'm going to be a litigator. I'm going to be a partner. You know, I was so struggling to really make it through. And that was a big thing for me. I did know deep down. When you were in the middle of it, did you think that as long as I can get to X point, as long as I can get to this milestone, then it's all going to be better. And was that kind of like a motivation for you to keep going? Kind of like, if I can get to partner, everything was going to be better. If I can get to this, everything's going to get much easier. Was that ever the case? My whole life was like, When this thing happens, I'm going to feel better. When that thing happens, I'm going to feel better. I'll be happy when X happens. I'll be peaceful when Y happens. And I would just convince myself. And it started from the beginning of my practice. I was like, when I win my first trial, I'm going to rest and I'm going to be peaceful. And then I won my first trial and I was like, that was it. I feel like shit. And then it was like, all right, well, when I go from public service into private practice, then life's going to be good. And that wasn't the case. (laughs) And it probably even started before that when you were in school, right? If I can get through the midterms, it's all going to be better. If I can get through vacation, it's all going to be better. If I can just intern here, it's all going to be better. Was that the case? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing what I realize now with hindsight is I was like that in law school too. Like, oh, well, when finals are over, things are going to be better. When, you know, I get through the bar exam, things are going to be better. But what I realized was that I was not allowing myself to enjoy the journey and just be present in each thing as it happened. And I was living anxiously for tomorrow constantly. Yeah, that was exactly my next question. Because when you're always just waiting for the next milestone, you're not enjoying a day. And we hear that almost as a cliche for parents, like, oh, you have to enjoy every day and you have to be there. But most of us, most of the time, we're just waiting for the next milestone. Oh my God, as soon as he can just walk on his own, it's all going to be much better. As soon as he can just feed himself or as soon as he can just go to the toilet on his own, it's all going to be better. How bad do you think it's this all over the place in terms of our society? How prevalent is this mindset? I think the majority of people struggle with the ability to be present. I always say that the struggle to be present is really a part of the human condition. And people are either constantly looking to the future, right? And they're like, when this happens, when that happens, or they're constantly living in the past, regretful of what happened or saying that was the best time of my life and it's gone now. So I think it's just part of the human condition. And I tell my clients this all the time. They say, I can't be present. And I'm like, yeah, welcome to being a human. 
It's day to day. Like today, I'm going to be present. Or in this moment, in this activity, I'm going to be present in what I'm doing and not allow yourself to be overwhelmed by having to do that day in and day out for the rest of your life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's so common. So let's say you start working with someone and they recognize all these things. What are your first couple of steps when they realize these things? And they say, listen, you know what, Regina, I just can't be present. I'm always thinking about the next thing. I'm always thinking about the next milestone or the next achievement or the next big thing. What would be your first step with these kind of clients? The first step is just a baby step, right? What is the first thing that you can do that you can focus on and you can be present in the moment? It's really hard today because we have these cell phones and iPhones and social media that we're constantly checking. So I'll tell clients, go through a meal and don't look at your cell phone. When you're in a meeting, be in the meeting. If you're a student, when you're in class, be present in the moment in that class. Just start with small, bite-sized things. Don't be like, I'm going to be present in everywhere of my life and expect that. You're just going to change 30 plus years of habits and experience. But start with bite-sized things. Like if you have a significant other or a partner, say, I'm going to be present at breakfast with my partner and I'm not going to look at my cell phone. Just like little things, those little habit changes make such a big difference. Yeah, I was just reading a book by Carl Newport about digital minimalism specifically. And it is a big struggle for me. I'm not even going to lie. I'm not even going to pretend here that, oh, yeah, I don't look at my cell phone. But I have been obviously decreasing the amount of time that I'm on my phone. I've been trying to purposefully leave it behind when we do certain things. But we're very attached to it. I mean, before you would check your pockets, make sure you had your keys, make sure you had your wallet. And halfway through, you would be driving somewhere and you're like, oh my God, I forgot my wallet. And it was okay. Like, oh, well, I'm not going to buy anything. It'll be okay. But now if you realize that you forgot your phone, instant U-turn and you're going back to get it. It's so true. It's also affecting this next generation of millennials and teenagers that are coming up because the way that they're learning to communicate and to connect with people is not human anymore. And so we have this whole generation of people coming up who are starving for human connection. And it's just perpetuating the stress and anxiety in the next generation. Well, that's a great segue. Why do you think this human connection is so important? Why do you think it's so important for us as humans, which it is, but why in your opinion is it so important for us to be able to learn how to interact and how to have this connection? Because we weren't created to be individuals. We were created to be in community with one another from the beginning of time. And so while there is an importance in alone time and being alone, we as human beings were created to live in community and to collaborate with one another. And so we are living in an age where we are, in theory, totally connected, right? social media, you have all these followers and likes and friends on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, but they're not actually your friends and you're not actually having human connection that your brain and your body craves human touch, looking people in the eye, you know, using your senses. And so I think that so many people are really, really lonely, but their brain is confused because they have all of these friends. And so that innate human need for community and connection is really not being fulfilled. And then on top of that, because we're not talking, we're not looking each other in the eye anymore and talking and communicating, people are really struggling with the ability to figure out how to verbalize their internal world with other people. And do you think there's also like this dichotomy of 
we don't have that human interaction, yet we're never alone. We also never have that solitude because if we're constantly checking that feed, that news feed, that Instagram feed, we're constantly getting all these different inputs. We never really have a time to be with ourselves. Totally. And that's why it's so important to consciously create time to disconnect. That's so huge because you're right. I think about it myself and I'm always on my phone. My whole life, my whole business is on my phone. But I'll find myself when I should be taking 20 minutes to just regenerate or meditate or relax. I'm mindlessly scrolling Instagram and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't serving you, but we all do it. Yeah, but I think half the battle is being aware of it. I could not agree more with what you said at the beginning about starting small, especially when you start looking at all these things. Like I said, I've been reading into this whole digital minimalism thing. And one of the most important things they say is like, don't just go to your phone and delete every social app that you have, because then you're going to be checking like the weather app or something. Do it little by little. And if you see that Facebook is a problem, well, get rid of Facebook or just put certain controls there that you log out and it doesn't remember your password. So when you want to go in, you will have to manually put in your password and it might not be worthwhile. So that's something that we always try to communicate to our audience here. Even when you're trying to change anything about your life, health, you know, nutrition, exercise, lifestyle, anything like that, start small, make sure that it is a change that you can commit to. So that's definitely something that we both agree on. Now, let me just change gears a little bit here and go more towards your coaching practice. So you've been helping people overcome all these different stressors and enjoy their life more fully. How did that transition from being a practicing lawyer to being a mindset coach happen? It started truly just with myself. I'm an attorney and I'm a very logical, analytical thinker. And I'm also a law school professor, so I'm a teacher. So I think in how to teach myself, what steps can I implement to then change and transform and become a better human being? So as I started to do that myself, I really felt a calling and I knew it from conversations with people that I worked with and that I went to law school with is that the struggles that I was having and the stress and anxiety that was really debilitating for me and my practice, other people were experiencing it as well. I was having lots of conversations with people, figuring out what are your pain points? What are you suffering with? Asking them questions about their stress and anxiety. And then I was like, you know what? I want to do this. I want to assist people and develop a system based on what I have been through and the education that I have and start to really help people with what I struggled with. It wasn't like a quick thing. Like I didn't wake up one day and I was like, I'm going to be a stress and anxiety coach. It was really a process that was born truly out of my lifetime but systematized over the past three or four years. Now, when you started learning about all these things, did you just one day wake up and say, you know what, I'm realizing that my job isn't serving me and you just quit? Or was it also a transition there? It was definitely a transition. It was definitely something that I thought about over a period of time. I'm a pretty spiritual person. I spend a lot of time in meditation. And I really felt in my meditation that I was being called to do this. And I felt it for a long time. But for me, I'm very step-by-step. I need to have a plan in place. And I thought about it and really meditated on it for a while. And when I felt like I was ready, then I decided I could take the plunge. Okay, that's great. And how many people would you say have you been helping? Is this an ongoing thing? Is this like a certain number of sessions and then they're good to go? How does this normally work? It really just depends on the person. When somebody comes to me, if they've been doing self-work, whether it be with a therapist or a life coach, 
it's a different task because they've already started to really look inside of themselves and they understand who they are and where they came from. So we might not work together as long, but I could have somebody who has never really looked inside and thought about where they came from and their childhood and their home environments and their primary caregivers and however their primary caregivers treated them, how it had a profound effect on them. And those people I'll work with longer. So it really just depends on who they are and where they've come from. And what would you say, because I'm sure that you get some of this at some point, everyone's always worried about this. I talk to a lot of people who want to start something and suddenly it's almost like they need a permission to do something. They need some sort of blessing to start doing something. What made you decide and say, you know what, I've been doing this long enough. There's no degree to be a coach. There's nothing like that. Of course, you did a lot of internal work and that's what's really valuable. What would you tell someone who's stuck at wanting to show somebody else how to do something, but they're still thinking, well, I don't have a degree in this. Well, I'm not authorized. I'm not a therapist, like in your case, for instance. For me, truly, I had to give myself permission to do what I wanted to do. And I had all the knowledge. I had all the information. I had read and studied and I had gotten certifications and I had done the work myself. And it was really just giving myself permission to do what I wanted to do. I didn't have to stay an attorney. I could do what I felt called to do. People get preoccupied with getting ready to get ready to plan to get ready. And I just decided I wasn't going to do that. I was just going to start a business. That sounds great. And how could somebody get started in this path? For instance, if you were to give two or three pieces of advice, somebody's listening to this right now and is feeling overwhelmed, is recognizing themselves in your story, what would you say are the first two or three things that they can start doing right away? So the first thing that I always tell people when they're suffering from a lot of stress and anxiety is to start to give themselves a little bit of time, quiet time every day. And it doesn't have to be meditation, but it can. It could be going to the gym. It could be getting up 10 minutes earlier than your kids and drinking a cup of coffee in silence. It doesn't have to be anything huge, but I think that we have to create space for ourselves, especially when we're feeling stressed and we're feeling anxious and we have to create space and quiet time for ourselves every single day as a non-negotiable. The second thing that I suggest is to start to take note of when and where you start to feel stressed and anxious. So is it a pattern? Do certain behaviors trigger you? And as a result of those behaviors or circumstances, you start to have panic attacks or start to feel stressed or anxious. Because if you can start to look at when and where it's coming into your life, then you can start to make appropriate changes. But you have to do that. Give yourself quiet time and start to kind of study your behaviors a little bit and understand who you are and where this is happening at in your life. Yeah, that's great because most of the time we have all these different things and it might not even be like your career or what you think is causing your stress. When you really stop and analyze, okay, what happened today that triggered this? That's when you can start addressing all these situations. And of course, there's a lot of deep work that you can do for that. But also you can just simply start avoiding certain things. If you realize that, oh God, every time that I look into Facebook and I see all my old high school classmates posts, I get all upset and anxious. Well, just delete them. Yeah, exactly. So those are great things. Anything else that you'd like uh, to recommend? Like it's a third step. Those two are great. So quiet time and be able to analyze and look for patterns into what's triggering you. I think once you start to look for the patterns, I then like to work with people to think about 
if it's not something that you can eliminate, like a certain situation, I like people to think about when in their life they started to feel anxious or stressed in those types of moments. Sometimes events now are triggering and cause stress and anxiety because at an earlier time in our life or multiple times earlier in life, we learned to react to certain situations in a stressed or anxious way. And so if you can start to understand where those feelings came from and start to understand them, you can start to rewrite the story and look at it again with a grown-up adult brain. Exactly. Yeah, there's so many things that we believed as children, as teenagers, that we just carry those beliefs with us. And if we stop and analyze those looking back, they're like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why did I believe that? Well, because it made sense when you were eight and you carried along the belief, right? And so many of those things that we remember, those traumas that we remember, or those stories, like you just said, the brain isn't fully developed before the age of 18. So we are remembering things with a not fully rational mind. And also when things have an emotional connection to them, we then remember them more clearly. So then to look back at those things with a developed, rational adult brain, we can then rewrite the story and see what it was instead of maybe what our child brain assigned to it. Exactly. Yeah, that's super powerful. Now, before we move on, what would be your recommendation? When should somebody look for somebody else's help? When do you think it's a good time for somebody to say, you know what, this is not something that I can do on my own? I think when you feel like you're on a hamster wheel, you feel like you are reading books, you're trying to educate yourself, you're learning different things, but you're having trouble implementing what you're learning. And I often analogize stress and anxiety coaching to starting a workout habit or changing the way that you're eating. A lot of times when we have to do something and start a new habit by ourselves, it's hard for us to commit to ourselves. But if we have a trainer who we're going to see at the gym every week or every other day, or we have a friend who we're going to meet on the treadmill at 5 a.m., we're probably going to show up for our friend at 5 a.m. We require that assistance. So when you are changing a habit of being stressed and anxious, just like you're flexing a muscle, it requires training and accountability. So you might have all the knowledge. You might know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this triggers me with stress and anxiety and these situations make me feel a certain way. But it's when you get to that point where you're like, I'm on the hamster wheel and I require accountability. And also when we live in our own lives, sometimes it's hard to see what's in front of us. Whereas when you can have somebody come in, an objective third party and ask questions that maybe we never thought about, that's when it's like a really good time to start working with somebody. I think that's great. The reason I ask is because I was listening yesterday to Seth Godin, and at some point he was asking, or somebody asked him a question, and he said that there's two types of people in the world, those who have coaches and those who don't. And the people who have coaches, they don't need a coach because they already have a coach. And the people who don't have a coach, they don't know that they need a coach. I've had coaches for several different things throughout my life. I recognize the value of it. It's imperative to get to the next level of pretty much any discipline. So it's not that you'd have to sell me, but I do think that it is very important for us to really communicate and to let other people know that it's okay to seek help. It's okay to find somebody who's walked this path before to help us and to guide us. We did this when we were younger. Nobody suddenly decided that they were 
going to teach themselves math. We had a coach, which was a teacher, right? But they taught us math and they taught us all these things. And it gets to a point where our life where we decide that we want to stop learning and we're just learning on our own supposedly. So I think that's incredibly important. Now, before we wrap this up, where can people find out more about you and how can they get started working with you? If do you work remotely with clients, how does it work? So I work remotely with clients. I've been doing video conferencing, coaching calls with clients because I just think it's a better connection. My website is www.reginalawrence.com. I'm very active on Instagram and my Instagram handle is Regina A. Lawrence. And then I'm under Facebook as Regina Angelica Lawrence. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure to link to all of those in our show notes. Any parting words, any final words of advice for our listeners, anything else that you'd like them to do in order to improve their lives? The only thing I'll say is that there's so many people out there who think that their life has to be so stressed or so anxious, especially when people think about being successful. So often we think that to be successful, life has to be hard or stressful. And that's really not the case. You can be super successful, super profitable, but also do it in a very, very peaceful body. Perfect. Perfect. Great words of advice. I could not agree more. And I think it is very, very important for people to start internalizing this because you're absolutely right. At certain points, if we feel that it's not hard or that it's too simple, it simply is not going to give us the results or it's just not going to work. So with that said, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm sure that a lot of people here have really taken notes, have enjoyed what you've shared with us. Thank you so much for doing the work you do. I think it is a lot more important than what people give it credit for. I think that being able to help people to all these different levels and helping them get to the next level will in turn pay us all back because then they can go out there and do their best work for everyone. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. If you want to get the show notes, remember to go to dre.show. That's D-R-E dot show. And you can search the bar at the top for Regina Lawrence and you will be able to find this episode. You'll be able to find the show notes, the links to her social media profiles, her website, and you can even get started working with her. Thank you very much again, Regina, for joining us. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless.